0: All right, before we get started, uh, I kind of want to preface this sermon this morning by saying that we are talking about a a topic uh, that makes me very uncomfortable. We're talking about spiritual gifts this morning, and uh, the reason why it makes me so uncomfortable is because there are things in God's Word which... We can't understand which are out of our control. And so when we talk about doing those things within our church, it makes me uncomfortable because I like to be able to understand things. I like things to be safe and know what we can expect when we show up to church each Sunday. But I think that if we understand what God's Word says about spiritual gifts, that that won't be the case anymore that the Spirit will do things in us and through us that are outside of our understanding and are outside of our control and uh, aren't a typical safe service where we can show up and get exactly what we expect. And that makes me uncomfortable. But these things are in God's Word, and so we need to understand what to do with them. And with that... Today, there's going to be things that I say that we're not going to have time just to kind of camp out there and explain everything about it. So uh, you're probably going to have questions. And so what we're going to do this week is on Thursday, I'm going to respond to questions online. And I'll, I'll send out links to those questions. So if as I'm talking this morning, you think, what did he mean about this? What did he say about this thing? What What about whatever? Write it down, and there's an email address in the bulletin, there's a phone number in the bulletin. You can text me or send me that question, and I will try to answer it, or I'll say, I don't know. But don't just think, well, maybe he'll answer it later in the sermon, because if I don't answer it then, chances are I'm not going to answer it later. So write it down so that we can learn together, because this is a complicated topic with lots of rabbit trails we could go down, and we don't have time to go down them all this morning. So, have that in the back of your mind. If you think of something, write it down and send it to me so that your question can get answered before we begin uh Some of you probably remember this story because you've you've been around b c for a while. Some of you probably don't, but I have a a annual fly fishing trip I go on with my dad in November, and it's fantastic. It's a hugely relaxing time for me uh And so our first November here, I was, you know, super stressed out by a new job, by a new ministry, and I was really looking forward to getting away for a weekend, doing some fishing, you know, and we, so he came up and got me, we were driving down, we we get there, we spend the night, the next morning we're up, we get all our gear ready, we've got all our gear on, we're walking out the door for a relaxing day of fishing in the river, and as soon as my dad opens the door, there's this guy standing on the other side. And it's a guy from the state park, and he said, you need to come down to the lodge. There's a phone call. Your family has some sort of emergency. And so I assumed, to be honest, that my grandma died. (laughs) I thought, that's probably what's going on. Something happened with her. And then he goes down, he calls, and he comes back up, and he tells me that my wife is in the hospital. So we take off all our gear, pack up the car, get in the car, drive back to Hannibal, uh, no fishing. But thankfully, you know, my wife was healthy and being taken care of, and we got back in time. And what was going on from her side of the thing is she put our kids in bed and then gets this crippling stomach pain. And uh, I hope you don't mind me telling you this, but she threw up. <laughs> And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. At first, she thought it was nerves that she was freaked out because I was out of town. But the more it, it, painful it got, she finally called someone who came and took her to the hospital, and they told her she had appendicitis. And so the next day, uh, a doctor at Hannibal Regional cut out her appendix because it's better to not have an appendix than for your appendix to explode and shoot you know, toxic, nasty stuff all over your body. <coughs> Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. And so what's, what's happening there is one of her body parts wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. You know, we may not know exactly what an appendix does, but we know that it's not supposed to swell up and explode and kill us. That's not its function. And if you're here this morning and you either don't know what your spiritual gifts are or you're not using your spiritual gifts, you are like a swollen appendix. You are not doing what you were created to do within the body of Christ. If you don't know that, if you don't know what your gift is, or if you know what your gift is and you're not using it, that's who you are. And in some ways, it would be better for you to not be here than be here and not be doing what you're supposed to do. Obviously, I don't want you all to leave. Instead, what I want us to do is figure out what our gifts are, figure out how they function within the church, and then together do what we're supposed to do. And so that's what we're doing this morning. We're seeking to understand that just like last week, when we talked about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does in us, we discovered that we cannot function as disciples of Christ, as followers of Christ, without the Holy Spirit. We just can't do it. We can try as hard as we want, but we won't be doing what he's called us to do without the Holy Spirit. In a similar way, we cannot function within the church without those gifts. It's how we're supposed to function. And more than that, what we're going to discover this morning is that spiritual gifts are not optional. It's not a thing that we can kind of pick and choose whether we want to participate in. What we're going to see in God's Word this morning is a command for us to desire and seek spiritual gifts. And so if we're not doing that, then we're not obeying God's Word. That's the main point for us this morning. We must earnestly seek spiritual gifts so that we can build up and serve the church and glorify Jesus. We can't do that without spiritual gifts, and so we must seek them. And like I said... As we go through these gifts, as we talk about gifts, there are going to be things that you don't like. I know that because there are going to be things that I don't like. I'm going to talk about gifts that absolutely freak me out and make me uncomfortable. If some of you have some of these gifts and start using them, it's going to weird me out. It's going to weird you out. It's going to weird everybody out. But... We're still going to talk about them because as much as I'd like to, I cannot say that the gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament are no longer given to the church because God's Word doesn't say that. And so I'm not going to say it. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 14.1. And really we're going to spend a lot of time in kind of 12 through 14 as a whole, but this is our, our main verse. This is where we see this command that, and it puts us on the spot. If you don't have a Bible, there's some under the chairs, and this morning's passage in those Bibles is on page 960. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 14:1. This says, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, "Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. One verse. That's all we're looking at this morning. And we're going to try to understand what this command is, what it means for us. And then we're going to walk through what spiritual gifts are, because if we're going to earnestly desire them, we need to know what they are. And so, before we get into this, let's pray. Father we pray this morning, that you would send your spirit this same spirit that we are seeking to learn more about and understand more about how he gifts us as individuals and as a church, that you would send him to help us understand your word. Yeah, that we wouldn't be uncomfortable about what your word says but that instead we would have an anticipation of what your Spirit will do in your church. That we will long to see your Spirit bring you glory. That we will long to see your Spirit bear witness to who Jesus is and what He's done for us. And that we will desire to see your Spirit build up the church. God, we thank You for Your Word. Jesus, we thank You for what You've done for us and Your sacrifice on our behalf. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen. So again, this verse tells us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. This is a command. This is Paul saying, do this. That means it's not optional and that means there's two responses to it. We can either obey it and desire spiritual gifts, or we can not obey it. And saying, I don't know what spiritual gifts are, or I don't know what my spiritual gift is, so I'm not going to do anything with it, is disobedience. There's either obedience, which means doing what Paul says and desiring spiritual gifts and using them within the church, or there's disobedience. But, this is something we can't forget. You know, whenever we talk about or see a command in Scripture, it's really easy to think that that God is placing some sort of burden on us. But what we can't miss about this command here, where Paul tells us to desire spiritual gifts, is that this command is, is covered in grace. We know this for two reasons. The first reason is that we have spiritual gifts to desire because Jesus has sent the Spirit into the world. Jesus sent the Spirit into the world because of what he did before that. He uh, lived a perfect life. He died on the cross as a penalty for our sins. And then he rose from the dead and he sent the Spirit into the world. So without doing those things, there is no Spirit sent into the world. Without doing those things, there are no spiritual gifts for us to desire. So the very fact that Paul can give us this command is evidence of the grace of the gospel, that Jesus has done something for us purchasing these gifts. The second thing, the second reason we know that this command is filled with grace is is what Paul says we should desire, spiritual gifts. These are gifts to the church. This word here is, is closely connected to the New Testament word for grace, what saves us, what gives us life and salvation and transformation. These are very similar ideas, and that's important for us because we don't understand gifts that way. In our culture, gifts are, are really a lot more like economic transactions than love that's given freely to somebody that doesn't deserve it. If it's your birthday... I feel obligated to give you a gift. If it's Christmas and I'm going to see you on Christmas, I feel obligated to give you a gift. If I know that you're going to get me something, I feel like I need to repay that and give you something in return. And we all think that way. Some of you might be more generous than others, but when someone invites us over to dinner, we think we need to invite them over. It's, it's an economic transaction we enter into when we give and receive gifts with people. And to be honest, I sent, spent a whole semester in the Ph.D. program talking about a theology of gift. This professor came up with this idea, and he made us all take this class, and we hated it because it was pointless. But here, three years later, I'm applying it. But when God gives us gifts, it's not a transaction. You know, we think that if God gives us a raise at work, then we need to repay him by giving more to our church. Or we say, if you will give me a raise, then I will give more. If God blesses us with spiritual gifts, and we think, well, now that I have these gifts, I need to do all these things for God. And obviously, we should respond to what God gives us with obedience, with a loving response. But we shouldn't feel obligated to. We should desire to. That's the key thing about this verse. We need to desire these gifts because they are grace. And we can't pick and choose the aspects of God's grace that we benefit from We should desire these things just like we desire life and salvation and transformation and all the grace that he has bestowed on us through the cross because that's what spiritual gifts are. They are part of that grace flowing out to us. And so we should desire them just like we desire that. But in order to desire these gifts, we need to know what gifts are. So I want to give you a definition of, Of spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used for ministry within the church. It's any ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and used for ministry within the church. There's two things you'll notice about this definition. The first is that it is broad. It says, any ability. Any ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and used for ministry within the church. Some of these abilities are going to be things that people are just more naturally gifted to do. So things like teaching and leadership and serving. Some people are just natural leaders. Some people are naturally gifted to teach. Some of these things will be like that. An ability that we have that the Spirit empowers us to use for ministry within the church. But other abilities will be things that nobody is naturally inclined to. Things like healing or miracles. No one is born doing those things. And I don't think these abilities, the reason why it says any ability is because we're not limited to these lists that were given in the New Testament. You know, if you've ever taken a spiritual gift before, there's like 10 items and you must have one of those 10 items. I don't think that's how it works because we've got this chart here which is going to compare the the lists we see in the New Testament. These are the lists that Paul gives to the church of spiritual gifts. And what you'll notice about those lists is that they're different. None of them have the exact same thing on it. There's only one gift that's on every single list and that's prophecy. And every single list has some unique gifts that none of the other lists has. So Paul tells the Romans about gifts that he doesn't tell the Corinthians about. He tells the Corinthians about gifts that he doesn't tell the Romans about. And you'll notice that there's a whole lot of books that aren't up there. Some churches, he doesn't mention any spiritual gifts to. And so that what we have to conclude from this is that these lists are not exhaustive. Paul is not saying these are all the spiritual gifts. He's saying these are some of them. So He may give gifts that aren't on this list, but he definitely will give the gifts that are. The second thing we should notice about the definition. Can you go back to that one, Cody? The second thing we should notice is that these gifts are used for ministry within the church. What this means is that spiritual gifts are not ours. They don't belong to me. They don't belong to you. They belong to the church. He gives us these abilities that are empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can use them for ministry within the church. I think that's hugely important. It's not something for us to take and do whatever we want with it. It's something for us to use within the church. We also need to know if we're going to desire spiritual gifts, what the purpose of spiritual gifts are. And there's three things. There's three things spiritual gifts do. Number one, they bear witness to and glorify Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. So if you have a spiritual gift, that's what it should do. It should bear witness to Christ and bring Him glory. It shouldn't bring you glory or make you look cool. Number two, spiritual gifts build up the church and empower us to minister within it. We are not equipped, we are not capable to do what we're supposed to do within the body of Christ without spiritual gifts. And number three, there are foretastes of what it will be like in the new heavens and the new earth. Spiritual gifts are like a picture or a preview of what it will be like when we are who we're supposed to be. When Christ fully restores us, at his second coming, and makes us sin-free. These gifts are one small way that previews who will be then. And that's why we don't have all the gifts. We get some gifts, and in some ways, we're more like who we were created to be and less like who we were before Christ. And when we think about spiritual gifts... Well we need to remember that it's it's not about what we do. It's not about the ability, it's about the effect of the ability. What the spirit does through it. So for example, there's a lot of people in the world who are gifted to play music. A ton of them. I can play the alto saxophone. First of all, that would be an awkward instrument to have in worship but just because I can play that instrument doesn't mean that I'm gifted to lead the church in worship. Just because John Mayer is a fantastic guitarist doesn't mean he's gifted by the Holy Spirit to play music. Only some people are empowered by the Spirit to usher God's people before his throne in worship. Many people are capable of teaching. Not everyone is gifted by the Spirit to teach the truths of the Bible. Anyone can do something nice for someone else. But some people are empowered by the Spirit to do acts of mercy which bear witness to Christ. It's not just the ability. It's not the talent. It's not the skill. It's what the Spirit accomplishes through that that makes something a spiritual gift. And so what we need to do now is we need to walk through these gifts. There are 20 unique gifts mentioned in the New Testament. And so some of those are fairly self-explanatory and not quite as confusing or controversial as others. And so we're going to walk through pretty quickly uh, some of the kind of -of run-of-the-mill spiritual gifts. And then we're going to get to the uh, potentially explosive ones. So the first one is teaching. Teaching simply is the ability to explain Scripture and apply it to people's lives. That's what this gift is. It's not teaching science. It's not teaching English. It is teaching the Bible to people so that they apply it. And if you think you have this gift, you should look for opportunities to use it however you can. Teach any age, whenever and wherever you can. Don't hold out for a specific thing. Just use your gift in whatever way you can. The next one is helps or service. This is the ability to serve in such a way that other people are encouraged and the church is built up by the Holy Spirit. And again, it's not just the ability, right? Any of us can stack chairs after church, but only some people can do it in such a way that encourages other people in in humble service or, or builds up the church in some way. An example of this from our lives was a few years ago when we had that huge snowstorm in Hannibal. It was in February and Jen and I were in the tough situation of being in Florida at an Acts 29 conference while you guys were getting snowed on. And So we, we flew back into St. Louis. We were driving up here for church. It was when we were still on Sunday nights and I knew that after church that night we were going to have to go home and I was going to have to shovel our driveway. So I wasn't looking forward to it but I kind of just resolved to do it. We go to church After church, we're driving home, and we find out that someone from our church, while we were gone, came and shoveled off our driveway. And it's not a short driveway, it's long. And, you know, that was a time that was early in our ministry here, and we dealt with discouragement a lot. But pulling into our driveway and seeing that somebody from the church loved us enough to serve us in that way was incredibly encouraging. It wasn't just, oh, thanks for doing that. It was the Spirit doing something in us through that person serving. That's what this gift is. next gift is administrating. And really, administrating is is kind of a a bad translation of this word. Let me give you the definition and I'll explain why. It's the ability to determine a destination and get the church there. This word that's translated administrating, and I don't know about you, but when I think of administrating, I think of kind of detailed, bureaucracy-oriented stuff. People keeping track of calendars and schedules and tasks. uh, Not things that, you know... uh, The the word here is the same word that's used for captains of ships. I don't picture Jack Sparrow, you know, keeping... track of a task list you know he's he's out there he's saying this is where the ship's going i'm going to do what it takes to make sure the crew gets there and then we're going to go this is what that word is it's not administrating it's it's really a lot like leadership so it's the ability to say this is this is our goal and these are the things we need to do to accomplish that goal it's more like vision casting the next gift is faith it's not faith that every Christian has. This is a special kind of faith. It's an ability to trust God and believe the truths of Scripture in situations where others typically do not. Chances are you've known some people that when you're worried about how some situation is going to work out or how you know, God is going to work in some way, you have that friend who's just like, it's going to be fine. This is what's going to happen. Just trust Him. Just believe. And they inspire in you that same kind of faith. Evangelism is a special ability to share the gospel in such a way that people respond with saving faith. Obviously, all Christians are called to evangelize. All Christians are called to share the gospel. But some people, the Spirit blesses in a way that He doesn't bless the rest of us. And it's not just, you know, when I think of evangelists, I think of Billy Graham, right? He preaches and 50,000 people get saved. It's insane. He is gifted in this way. But I think evangelism can also be in a much smaller scale. Someone being able to communicate the truth of the gospel in a way that people respond on a one-on-one basis. So don't expect Billy Graham level, you know, response when you share the gospel. Maybe God has gifted you, with one-on-one situations. The next gift is shepherd. This is not the ability to lead a flock of sheep. This is a spiritual gift, remember? This is those empowered by the Holy Spirit to watch over and care for the church. This is actually not, not technically a gift, it's more of a position, but I think it comes with the gifts necessary to lead the church. Obviously, if we're going to appoint another elder of B.C., this is the gift we look for in people, among other things. The next gift is exhortation. This is the gift that maybe sometimes you've heard as encouragement. But I deliberately chose exhortation because it's the ability to encourage sometimes boldly people in the things of God. Most people, when they think of encouragement, they think of, you know, you handing somebody a cross-stitch pillow that tells them that their life is going to be all sunshine and rainbows. It's, you know, like patting them on the fanny, telling them they're doing great. That's not encouragement. Encouragement is saying what needs to be said so that people walk with obedience and respond to the grace that God has shown us. Sometimes that means you need to speak hard truth in love. Sometimes that means you need to give somebody a cross-stitch pillow. But it's not one or the other. It's both. The next gift is generosity. This is the ability to give generously in a way that is spiritually empowered. I think its effect is, like we have a ton of people at this church who give generously. But I think this gift is is a level beyond that. It's, It's the spirit using someone's generosity in a way that he doesn't use others. Maybe it's something like you just feeling prompted for no reason that you can explain to to give someone $100. And then later you find out that that person needed $100 to pay their bills that month. Sometimes it's even giving a small amount with great effect. When I was raising money for my India trip, I was talking with a guy and telling him that I was freaked out that I had to raise $3,000, didn't know where the money was going to come from, we didn't have the money, and I had lunch with this guy who, as I told him that, pulled out his wallet and gave me 25 bucks. It's not much. But him doing that inexplicably gave me confidence that the rest of the money was going to come in. And it did. God provided for us in an amazing way, and I got to go to India. And I still think about the fact that that guy gave me 25 bucks, even though other people gave me a lot more. Two more. And then we'll get to the fun ones. Leadership is the ability to serve as a leader within the church and influence people to do what God has called them to do. Again, this is pretty similar to the gift that's called administrating. Mercy. This is the ability to show mercy and carry out acts of mercy by the Spirit. This happens to be the one gift that my wife says I absolutely do not have. Mercy is love that's based on the kind of helplessness or the need of someone else. And so if you're someone who sees someone in need and feels compelled to help them, this might be a gift that you have. As we move on to these other gifts, these more controversial gifts, as we move into them, I'm making a huge assumption here. There's a debate in theology over whether these gifts are still given to the church. Uh, I believe they are. I think that's what Scripture says. It doesn't say anything to the contrary. So that's how we're going to go forward. And I'm going to explain why I think that in that Thursday Q&A. I'm not going to do it now because it would take too much time. So here we're just saying these things still happen because, well, that's what the Bible says. So the first gift that we're going to talk about is prophecy. This is one of those gifts that might make us a little uncomfortable. But what I think is important for us to get about this gift as we talk about what it is, is that list that we saw earlier, that chart. This is the one gift that is on every single list. It's also a gift that Paul singles out in 1 Corinthians and tells people to desire. In the verse we read earlier, Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially, especially that you may prophesy. That's to everybody. He says the same thing later in the chapter. He says, So my brothers, I think that sisters are included there, earnestly desire to prophecy, prophesy. Something about this gift causes Paul to put it on every single list and causes him through this spirit to encourage everyone to especially desire this gift. So, I think it's important for us to know what it is. This is the definition. Saying in your own words something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Saying in your own words something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. So, in your own words, it's a very important part of the definition because this shows how New Testament prophecy is different from Old Testament prophecy. In the Old Testament, prophets spoke the words of God. They said, thus saith the Lord. And what they said was God's word. And if people obeyed it, they obeyed God. If people disobeyed it, they disobeyed God. That's how prophecy works in the Old Testament. But what we see in the New Testament is that the New Testament counterpart to the Old Testament prophets is not prophets. It's apostles. We see guys like Paul, guys like Peter, guys like Matthew writing the New Testament. You look back at the Old Testament, the vast majority of books are written by prophets. In the New Testament, the vast majority of books are written by apostles. They're the guys who speak with the authority of God. In the New Testament, prophets speak in their own words. And because of that, their words are not infallible. Their words are not inerrant. Let me show you an example of this. In Acts 21, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and he stops in Caesarea. And this this guy named Agabus, who's a prophet. He walks up to Paul, and he takes off Paul's belt, which is strange to begin with. And then he takes that belt, and he ties himself up with it. And he says this, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. This guy walks up to Paul, takes off his belt, ties himself up, and then prophesies. And Luke tells us that he's a prophet. But what Agabus says is not what happens. It's close. It's very close but it's not exactly right. What happens is Paul goes to Jerusalem and the Jews don't tie him up. They don't bind him. The Jews try to kill him. The Jews are actually in the process of beating Paul to death when the Romans come up, stop it, and the Romans bind him. This guy says, the Jews in Jerusalem are going to bind him and hand him over to the Gentiles. But it's the Gentiles that bind Paul. It's the Gentiles who take him into custody. Agabus is a New Testament prophet. He doesn't speak with the words of God. He speaks something that God has made known to him in his own words, and that means it's not always exactly right. Prophecy is not prepared remarks. It's something that God brings to mind. So preaching is not prophecy. Preaching is teaching with, you know, I don't know, three points in a poem. Meeting with someone to talk about a specific issue that you know that they're facing, that you've prepared for ahead of time, even if you speak the Word of God boldly to them, that's not prophecy. That's encouragement. Prophecy is when God spontaneously brings something into your mind that you had previously not thought of or prepared to say, and you say it. That's prophecy. So if you're meeting with someone and for some reason you think, I need to share this scripture that I memorized with them, and you do it, and it applies to a situation they're facing, that's prophecy. If in the middle of a sermon the Spirit brings to mind something that I hadn't prepared to say and I say it, that's prophecy. But it's not something we've prepared for ahead of time. Let me give you a couple examples. This first one is from the autobiography of Charles Spurgeon. Certainly not someone that I would consider a kind of crazy, charismatic guy. He's pretty straight-laced, had a nice beard. This is what he says. While preaching in the hall, on one occasion, I deliberately pointed to a man in the midst of the crowd and said, there's a man sitting there who is a shoemaker. He keeps his shop open on Sundays. It was open the last Sabbath morning. He took nine pence, and there was four pence profit out of it. His soul is sold to Satan for four pence. Continues. A city missionary, when going his rounds, met with this man. And seeing that he was reading one of my sermons, he answered the qu- asked the question, Do you know Mr. Spurgeon? Yes, replied the man. I have every reason to know him. I have been to hear him, and under his preaching, by God's grace, I have become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Shall I tell you how it happened? I went to the music hall and took my seat in the middle of the place. Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me, and in his sermon he pointed to me and told the congregation that I was a shoemaker and that I kept my shop open on Sundays. And I did, sir. I should not have minded that, but he also said I took nine pence the Sunday before and that there was four pence profit out of it. I did take nine pence that day, and four pence was just the profit. But how should he know that? I could not tell. Then it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him, so I shut up my shop the next Sunday. At first I was afraid to go in and hear him, lest he should tell the people more about me. But afterwards I went and the Lord met with me and saved my soul. Spurgeon goes on. I could tell as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed at someone in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of the person, or any idea what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it, and so striking has been my description that the persons have gone away and said to their friends, Come, see a man that told me all things I ever did. Beyond a doubt, he must have been sent of God to my soul, or else he could not have described me so exactly. That's prophecy. There's no way Spurgeon could have prepared ahead of time You know, it's not like he had the plant in the audience who figured out information from people like all the guys on TV do. Another example of prophecy would be like sitting in your community group and saying, you know, for some reason, I just feel like we should pray for these missionaries I know overseas. And then finding out sometime later that something was going on with them during that time. This is a real gift that Paul not only says is given to the church, but one that he says that all of us should desire. So how do we use it? Obviously, not everything that comes into our mind is a word from God. We should not treat it like that. The purpose of prophecy is the same as every spiritual gift. It's to glorify and bear witness to Jesus and to build up the church. So if you feel like the Spirit is leading you to share something with someone, you should evaluate it with those purposes. Will it glorify Christ? Will it bear witness to Him? Will it build up the church? If it will, then chances are the Spirit is leading you to share that with a person or with your community group or with your church. And so I can think of three ways that we can use this. The first would be with informal meetings with fellow believers. You're having lunch, you're having coffee, you're spending time with other believers and you feel like the Spirit's leading you to share something with them. Don't think it's weird. Don't be uncomfortable. Have the boldness and the submission of the Spirit to say it. Say, you know what? I don't know why, but I feel like I should share this with you. Worst case scenario, they think you're a weirdo and you don't hang out with them anymore. But if these are fellow believers, I don't think that's going to happen. And community groups, I think that's one place we should definitely be open to this. If you feel like the Spirit is leading you to share something with your group, you should do it. And as members of community groups, we should be okay and eager for people to do that. I think a third place would be corporate worship. And this is where things get uncomfortable for me. And probably for you too. If you're here one Sunday and you feel like the Spirit is leading you to share something with the church, the first thing you should do is you should evaluate it with these three purposes. Will it build up the church? Will it glorify Jesus? Will it bear witness to Him? If not, keep it to yourself. But if it does do those things, then what you should do is you should find an elder. It should be me, or Matt, or Jason. And you should share that with them and say, guys, I don't know why, but I feel like I should share this with the church. And we'll evaluate it with those three tests. Does it bear witness to Christ? Does it glorify Him? Does it build up the church? And we'll either say, yeah, you should share that. Let's figure out a time and place that we can do this in an orderly fashion. Or we'll say, you know what? I appreciate you sharing that with me, but I just just don't think... That would benefit everyone. And that's something we need to work on. Something we need to get more comfortable with as a church is being used by the Spirit to share things with the body. Because prophecy is a gift that's given to the church to build it up. And if we're not willing to use it, then we're missing out on a big aspect of how the Spirit wants to shape us as a church. If we want to obey the commands of Scripture, then we need to be those who especially desire to prophesy. The next gift, which is probably more uncomfortable, is miracles. Literally, one who works power or works of power. That's what this gift is. And it's distinct from healing. Healing is another gift. So this is some sort of Miraculous work that's separate from healing. This would be the definition. Works of supernatural power that bear witness to Christ, glorify Him, and build up the church. To be honest, I don't have a lot to say on this one. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Incredibles, but there's this scene where Mr. Incredible gets home from work, and he's shutting his car door, and he looks at the end of his driveway, and there's this kid on a tricycle. And he says, what are you waiting for? And the kid says, I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. And like, that's how I feel with this gift. I don't know, but I think it's something amazing. It's the Spirit empowering some person to do some work of power that is beyond our understanding, beyond our explanation, And it's a gift that God's Spirit says is given to the church. Whether we understand it or not, it's something that we should desire to see. The next gift is very similar but specific. It's healing. So would be the supernatural ability to bring a restoration to health as a foretaste of the complete freedom from physical weakness and infirmity that we'll experience in the new creation. It's a long definition. Essentially, it's the ability to heal someone for the purpose of saying, this is what you'll be like then. This is what we'll all be like then. I think what we do with this gift, I personally don't think I'm somebody that has it, But what we do is we ask people if we can pray for them when they're sick. And I think whether it's a, you know, minor illness or a serious illness, we ask if we can pray for them, we ask if we can pray with them, and we recognize at the same time that God does not guarantee or promise that he will heal everyone. I think practically, and I'll just say this, if one of my kids gets sick, I will absolutely pray that God will heal them. But if I think they need to go to the doctor, I'm absolutely going to take them to see Dr. Thornton. And if Dr. Thornton says they need medicine, I'm going to give them that medicine. But that whole time, I'm going to be praying that God will bring my child to health. And I don't think those are contradictions. I don't think they work against each other. I think that sometimes we're going to see that God blesses us with modern medicine. Sometimes we're going to see God do things that cannot be explained by it. And we should desire both. I don't think it's a lack of faith to you know, give your kid antibiotics. I think it's an act of parenting and wisdom. But if you're someone that thinks that you might have this gift, what I would encourage you to do is to Pray with people that you know are sick. And when you do, tell them. You don't have to walk up to someone and say, Hey, I think I've got the gift of healing. Can I pray for you? But you can say, You know, I just want you to know I'm going to be praying that you get better. Because I think if we don't do that, and I think that, you know, this is a gift especially that people can be embarrassed by, can feel shame over, can think, If I even remotely think I might have this gift and I'm a crazy person. But I think that since the purpose of spiritual gifts are to build up the church and glorify Christ, it can't do that if you keep it a secret. It can't do that if you don't tell people that you're praying for them or with them. And so communicate that to them in a you know, normal way. But say, I'm praying for you and believing that God will heal you. And I think that's something we should all be more comfortable with, even though it makes us uncomfortable. The next one is speaking in tongues. So if we're not uncomfortable yet, here we go. Speaking in tongues and interpretation. Interpretation. This is by far the most confusing, misunderstood, and misapplied gift in the New Testament. There are people that say, if you don't speak in tongues, you can't be a Christian. There are people that speak in tongues improperly. There are people that don't think this happens at all. I mean, people are all over the map on this one. And so as we talk about it, I think it's important for us to recognize that in Scripture there seem to be kind of two different versions of this gift or maybe manifestations of it. There is a a public version which freaks us out and there's a private version which, you know, still freaks me out, but hey, at least it's in private and not for me. So public. What happens with this gift we see in Acts 2. So in Acts 2, Pentecost, the Spirit falls on the apostles and they tell us this. They say, they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What's important for us to get here is the word other. They spoke in other tongues. What speaking in tongues in public is, is this. Speaking in a language you do not know with the result that Christ is glorified, born witness to, and or the church is built up. It's speaking in an actual language. It's not mindless babble. It's not gibberish. It's not some spiritual language. In public, it's speaking in another language. This is what happens. Listen to this section of Acts. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. The sound is the apostles speaking in tongues. They came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Again, actual languages. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Again, actual languages. And so these guys are from all these other countries and they're in Jerusalem for this festival and they hear the apostles speaking in tongues. And this guy says, you know, I hear them in German. And the other guy says, I hear them in Russian. The other guy says, I hear them in Italian. Obviously none of those languages existed then, but they heard them in the languages of their day. And that was so the apostles could communicate the truth of the gospel to these people from all these other countries whose languages they did not speak. That seems to be the purpose of this gift. And it comes with a huge qualification. And that's that any time anyone speaks in tongues in public, there must be an interpreter. That's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 14, 28, he says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only one or two, or most three, and each in turn. So if people are going to speak in tongues in church, which would freak us out, we cap it at three. No more than three people can speak in tongues each Sunday at BC, just so you know. (laughs) And you must take turns. And here's the key. And let someone interpret. But if there was no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So if this were to happen here, step one, be freaking out being uncomfortable <laughs> Step 2 would be can anyone interpret And if no one can interpret we say sit down please be quiet If someone can interpret we evaluate what they say based on the purposes of spiritual gifts Will it does it bear witness to Christ does it glorify him does it build up the church If it does those three things I think even though it makes us incredibly uncomfortable, we should be thankful that the Spirit of God has blessed us with spiritual gifts, all of them. Another form of speaking in tongues would be a private version. This is what sometimes people talk about, a private prayer language. Definition here would be praying or praising God in a language you do not know. Personally, I think this is still an actual language, but you know, Scripture isn't abundantly clear on that. So, if this is you, and, and I've known people that I trust and respect that say this is their thing, that's fine. You know, If it encourages you, if it builds you up, if it glorifies Christ to you, then don't be ashamed of it. But at the same time, Keep it private. If there's not an interpreter, if there's not someone who can explain it, then it doesn't belong in church. It belongs in your private prayer time. Seems like the Apostle Paul had this gift. Again, not someone we can write off as some just crazy charismatic. He wrote most of the New Testament, after all. Next gift, which is not exceptionally controversial, but some interpretations of it are, would be a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Paul lists these together. Some people think that these two gifts are this kind of supernatural ability to receive some sort of you know, word of wisdom or knowledgeable word in a specific situation and apply it to that. I don't think that's the case because that's what prophecy is. And prophecies already listed alongside these. So why would Paul say the same thing three times? I think that what these gifts are, word of wisdom would be the spirit-given ability to speak an especially wise word in various situations. So if you're someone who when you come to problems, when you give people advice, is just blessed by God with wisdom like Solomon was, this might be your gift. Knowledge works the same way. If you're someone that just God has gifted with the ability to know a lot of stuff and learn things quickly and then draw on that knowledge and apply it to situations you're facing, this might be the gift that he's given you. At the same time, if this is your gift, don't just say, well, you know, I've got wisdom, I've got knowledge, I'm fine. Add to that wisdom by studying God's word so that you're speaking to people and sharing with people wisdom from above and not, you know, what people say on facebook if you've got knowledge add to your knowledge with the things of god know his word study his word don't just know about other stuff I'm not saying that other knowledge isn't helpful but it's not a spiritual gift the last gift we come to is distinguishing between spirits this is another one of those slightly strange gifts and it's only mentioned once. So we don't have a lot of information about that, but it seems to be the ability to distinguish between the presence and or work of the Holy Spirit and demonic spirits in a person. So this person would have the gift of when they're speaking with someone, when someone comes into the church, when someone is around them, knowing is this person being influenced by and led by the Holy Spirit or is this person being led by and influenced by demonic spirits? For example, recently there was a, you know, this, this arrival, arrival, revival tour in town where there was this preacher guy whose nickname is the Holy Ghost Bartender. Which, if you guys are thinking of nicknames for me, I mean, that that one's on the list. (laughs) And what this guy does, I mean, there there are YouTube videos out there. He walks up to people, puts his hand out, and says, fire. And they fall down. And then he kicks them in the stomach and says, joy. And then they laugh uncontrollably. I mean... We, we laugh, but it's freaky. It's disturbing. And the options are, well, really there's three. There's, he's influencing these people demonically. These people are paid actors who are doing what they're supposed to do. Or, uh, like he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. Personally, I think it's option one or two mostly because I don't see that glorifying Jesus and bearing witness to him. I see it building this guy up. But someone with this gift of distinguishing between spirits would be a person who could tell, not definitively, but could be led by the Spirit to know this is something we should receive, this is something we should reject. And as such, this, I think, is a very useful gift to have within the church. We want people like this here. We want people so that if the Spirit is going to lead us in these gifts, we want people who know that person isn't speaking in tongues, they're doing something else that we want to reject. Now, we've talked about all these different gifts. And the reason why is because God's Word commands us to desire them. Even though we may not understand them all, even though we cannot control them, even though... They are beyond our grasp. They are grace that God has given to the church, and because of that, we should desire them, even though they make us uncomfortable. I think we need to recognize, though, that there's, there's no gift that everyone has. You know, Some people say that every Christian should be able to speak in tongues. That's just not true. Scripture doesn't say that. In fact, it seems to say the opposite of that. Not everyone is going to be gifted to teach. Not everyone is going to be you know, gifted to show mercy. And that's why he gives many gifts to the church. And if we're not desiring spiritual gifts, if we're not using our spiritual gifts, if we don't know how the Spirit has gifted us, then we're not able to function within the body like he's called us to. And really, Paul's analogy of the church as a body is great because we know what it's like when part of our body isn't working. We know what it's like when we get sick. We know what it's like when we break a toe. And we also know that we wouldn't desire to be composed of just one part. We like the unity and diversity of our body parts. No one would want six hands, except when getting kids in and out of the car. The point is is that we can't live out the gospel without His Spirit, and we can't function within the church without gifts. And so we need to desire them. And really, like if they are grace, if they are ways that He has empowered us and equipped us to function within His body, why would we not desire them? This should be one of the easiest commands in Scripture for us to obey. It's like telling us to desire birthday presents. No, I'm not going to do that. I might get something I don't like. So I don't want any of them. No one responds that way. One more time, if there's any questions you have, if I said anything that you want more on, you don't like, send me a text, send me an email. And really that goes for every sermon, but for this one especially. We we want to... <laughs> be able to understand these things and apply these things. And if we don't know, then we're not in a place to do that. So let's pray, and then Jason is going to come and lead the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you that your Spirit does things that are bigger than us and are outside of our control. We thank you that these things make us uncomfortable because the reason we're uncomfortable is that this is not the world we were made for. God, we pray that you would help us to desire spiritual gifts so that we can serve within the body as you were desirous to. We pray that you would help us desire them just like we desire other aspects of your grace. That we would yearn for them just like we yearn for salvation and redemption and forgiveness and inner heart transformation. That we wouldn't pick and choose the aspects of your grace that we'd benefit from, but that we would desire to be a functioning member of the body of Christ so that we are equipped to bear witness to and glorify you. We pray that your Spirit would take us beyond ourselves as individuals and beyond ourselves as a church. And that you would help us to recognize our deep need for that and desire it. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.